Hello, welcome to the season four premiere of Let's Talk About Brands on the Adweek Podcast Network. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gritman. If you are joining us on YouTube, things look a little different than usual. That's because I'm coming at you not from my usual home studio, but I'm coming at you from the UK. I have moved to the UK, everyone. Very exciting. At the time of this recording, I'm not in my regular studio yet. So that is coming. I'm in my friend's guest room now. She happened to have a room with red walls. How perfect is this? <laughs> so today's season four premiere, I'm very excited about. This is a guest who I've been talking to for a couple years now about having on the program, Jack Appleby. You are going to hear today about Jack's journey, about how he got all of that experience and, and got to know about the social media landscape. You're going to hear how he built his personal brand to begin with when it was not about building a personal brand, when it was about just kind of sharing uh, his learnings and connecting with the greater marketing community. Then we're going to hear about the shift of when he started really realizing, wait a second, Jack Appleby kind of is the brand now and what he's done with that since, especially when it comes to building his newsletter, Future Social. So uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation. It's definitely uh, long overdue. And I have to say, it's a much more interesting story now than it would have been when we first started talking about having him on. He has done so much with his personal brand. He continues to do so much with his personal brand. He even has a separate personal brand all about basketball. What? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So without any further ado, let's bring him on. Jack Appleby, come on down. Oh, the, the applause effects. Oh, I love this. I like our guests here on Let's Talk About Brand to feel like the personal branding superstars that they are. All right. So Jack Appleby, my goodness, you have an incredible story and so much experience that has gotten you to this point. So let's let's start with a bit of a primer for those who don't know you. Tell us a little bit about your background and about your journey, how you got started in social, all of that kind of leading up to you becoming Jack Appleby. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I, I appreciate coming on. For those of you that don't know me, hi, my name is Jack Appleby. I write a newsletter called Future Social that teaches 55,000 marketers each week about social media strategy. And that all started... 12 years ago now, back in the day, I was running social for a bunch of big tech brands through advertising agencies. So I had a social strategy for Beats by Dre, Verizon, Microsoft, a bunch of video games, the TV show community, all kinds of things like that, always through advertising agencies. And while I was in that journey, kind of just like all of us learning how to run social accounts, ended up tweeting about social media and writing about it strictly because I wanted to meet other people in the industry. I had this panic attack where I was, oh, I've been at the same agency for five years. I don't know anybody except for my immediate peers sitting left and right. I just started sharing my thoughts on Twitter and LinkedIn and eventually built enough an audience through that where I was given the opportunity by Morning Brew 
to become a full-time content creator. Launched a newsletter with them that I took over myself and is now independent as of six months ago. And I'm now a full-time writer, researcher of sorts for social media and consultants. So I'm kind of bummed that I don't have my Beats by Dre with me. That would have been perfect. <laughs> they are, of course, red. You can see them in the show graphics for less yeah, of brands. I do. I do have lovely red Beats. So the thing I really love about what you just said and that I think more people need to recognize when, when talking about building their personal brands is, first of all, you were kind of sharing insights and learnings as you went, which I think is really, really important. You weren't coming down from on high like, here's how things are. You were, you know, kind of sharing as you were going, but also you were building a community. And that is such an enormous part of establishing a strong personal brand and of having other people establish you as being a thing rather than you just being like, hi, I'm going to be a thing now. That's something people don't realize is such a key part. It's building community. Speaking of community, are you responsible for all those awesome community gifts? Not currently, but back <laughs> in the day, I, I, I led the team that was doing a season six social. So we did every piece of content for that. Got to work on the set. Got to work with the actors. It's an unbelievable experience. That's so cool because I, I, of course, I'm a huge user of gifts, often my own. But I'll confess, I didn't even watch Community. And there are still some favorite gifts that I go back to, especially like walking in with pizzas to the flaming room. Yes. It's like, it just, it just captures something right there. So you were doing social learning things on the job, you were communicating with people, you were networking. What really kind of, uh, Twitter obviously is part of the answer here, but what really kind of worked for you in terms of amassing, you know, not just a following, but a community who actually like cared what you had to say? What were some of the things that really helped make that happen and that really kind of hit? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, I think we see like my advertising analysis tweets right now and I started using Twitter a long time ago. I was, I was horribly socially anxious as a kid. Didn't feel like I could talk to people. Didn't like, couldn't find ways to relate to people. And in college, I kind of discovered Twitter just to find anyone who liked my, the same music as me. I was a big like emo warp tour kid. And that's how I started connecting with people on the internet. And like, I kind of felt like I had real friendships around my interests for the first time, like in my like late teens or early twenties. And that kind of started my interest there. So I originally was a, I don't know how many people know this. I was a music journalist before I got into advertising and was talking about kind of do ESPN style approaches for my favorite emo bands and like discussing album reviews and that kind of stuff. So when I ended up in advertising, I just kind of wanted to meet other people who talked about these things. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I, I started social in 2010, 2011. We were all making up as we went. And I was at my Instagram for five years. I only knew the people who I worked with. So I just started tweeting to meet other advertisers, maybe meet like who my next boss might be. But I think the reason it ended up becoming like very community-based is I did share kind of my own original thoughts. Like it was, if I wasn't doing an analysis of someone else and saying why I thought their work was excellent, it was maybe like theory or ideas on how teams could be structured or what the future of skill sets might look like in social. And I think when you do speak from that first person perspective and learn how to voice your mind, people just build like a much stronger connection with you. And that turns into a community who will follow you to different platforms and different things. Absolutely. So was there kind of a moment in that process where you kind of realized 
you were becoming a personal brand because on on the one hand, you know, you could make the argument we're all personal brands already. I like to say your personal brand is the version of you that lives in other people's heads, right? So by that by that metric, we kind of all have one. But you know, and I know that there is kind of a moment where it's like, wait, people who I don't know know who I am or people are starting to actually listen a bit more. Maybe I want to think about more about what I'm saying. You know, was there that moment for you in there somewhere where you realized, wait, Jack Appleby is, you know, kind of what people are interested in, not just my brands that I work for? Yeah, there's two key moments that come to mind, actually. One good and one bad. On the good side, like after, so I, what I kind of became known for for a while were these Twitter threads bringing down social case studies. And I've been doing that for a while. And a lot of them are featuring other people's great work because I, I couldn't share a ton of the stuff that I was working on due to NDAs. And then I get a DM one day and it's a product manager at Spotify who's like, hey, I've seen what you write about. Like, I'd love to work with you. How can we make that happen? And I brought in a couple hundred thousand dollars of Spotify work to my agency through cold Twitter DMs. And I mean, at that shop, I ended up uh, in one calendar year, I brought in almost a million dollars of work from Twitter DMs from some of the biggest game companies in the world, like wow. strictly come to me through DMs I could pass through to my agency and I brought in all the work I worked on. That is a turning of the tables instead of, you know, the brand that you work for lending you legitimacy, you were now lending the brand you worked for legitimacy. That must have felt awesome. Was it recognized at your place of employment? Did they recognize definitely you know, what Jack's personal brand is, what is helping our actual organization here? Definitely. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I said, like I, there was never a, the goal was never to become like a content creator. That was never at the top of my mind at all. I just wanted to talk about social media. But after that happened, I realized like, oh, there's opportunity here. So my MCs would give me more time to do that type of work, to bring in more business. Like at that specific agency, I was their first or their second hire in a new department. So that was a huge deal that I could bring in named brands. I live in New York now. The job that brought me to New York was to do social strategy for Verizon. And during the interview process, my would-be boss in my agency said, just so you know, like the like entire leadership team from Verizon Social already follows you on Twitter. I've let them know who you are. And they're like, oh yeah, we know who Jack is. And like that helped me get the job. That helped me build trust. Like one of the unexpected things was when I end up like chatting with someone for the first time that I'm working with, if they've read my writing, I'm able to enter with more opportunity and not having to do as much trust building up front as I might if they didn't know what work in the past. That is so huge. And I think it's really it's really wonderful that you worked with organizations that recognized the contributions that your personal brand were making to the bottom line. Did you ever encounter a situation where maybe higher ups or lateral people or anything like that said, well, is Jack out for the brand or is Jack out for Jack? Like, was it ever questioned mm -hmm. that your personal brand was helping the organization and was maybe like a, a sidetrack thing or was it always valued? Um, I don't think anybody ever, I, I never heard that I was out for me with it. I think there was occasionally there'd be a question of like, where, like, are his priorities? Like, will he stay with us? I think is a question <laughs> that I would get a lot of the time. But I also like, because I knew that like, at the end of the day, my career was more important to me than my social media. So I would go out of my way to make sure my employers were comfortable with it. I would mention it if, it. if it didn't come up in interviews, I would personally mention it and how it's a resource I'm happy to use to either bring in work or represent the work that we're doing. I mean, even at the job I mentioned where I brought in the work, 
that was after I'd worked in video games for five, six years. So I was starting to get other offers. And my boss was one of my mentors. And I told him, hey, I want you to know, like, I'm not leaving, but I'm getting opportunities to interview places. How do you feel about if we chat with some of these companies that like are trying to work with me and see if we can just bring them into the agency? So he would willingly let me go into these situations knowing they were trying to poach me. And we ended up bringing in some of that work too. So it's, I, I think as long as you communicate with your bosses in your company and like be very open about that, it, you kind of, you lower the risk quite a bit. Now, how did you balance sort of being a representative of your company in a way? Because these companies knew where you worked, which is fantastic. That's how you were able to help your company. But how did you balance I'm Jack from this agency versus kind of just being you? How did you make sure that you weren't, you know, speaking as the agency necessarily, but enough of it came back and tied you to the agency that it was able to benefit all parties? You know what? I never really worried about that in a weird way. Usually it was, they would come in from there and see where I'm working. Like, and I would, I moved around agencies maybe like every two years or so. I, I would, if I got a, a better offer that had a cooler opportunity for work, a lot of the time I took it. So I thought, as I look back at the agencies, most of them were just happy that I, that I could bring in work. And I was, I didn't go out doing speaking opportunities on their behalf. It was, I think I built enough of a personal brand that there was understanding publicly that like, oh, he works there, but he doesn't represent them. And I think also because of my titles at the time, like I was a, a, a director level, but that's certainly not a head. That's not a C-suite. But I think, and especially because of my age at the point, I think people understood like I was speaking as myself and then I happened to work at certain places. Okay. So then that brings us to the point where, as you said, when you started out with all this, it wasn't your intention to be a content creator. You were doing your job, and then separately, Jack the Human was just sharing experiences and connecting with people. But then there was a shift at some point where you did get hired as a content creator. So not so it's kind of a two-party here. First of all, how did that shift happen? Well, how did that opportunity happen? But then also, how did that shift happen in your own head where you said, you know what? I'm ready for this opportunity. I'm ready to be hired as me. Yeah. So I had been, I had never done a brand deal for myself until about a year ago, not once. And I'd already hit about a combined hundred thousand followers across two networks that are all B2B marketers. I was working at Twitch. I was happy as could be. I loved being part of their creative strategy team, but pretty much the moment I got there, Morning Group had been chatting with me about what it would mean to build a social media newsletter. I mean, that was a, a year long conversation. Originally, it was, will we do it part-time? And I was like, I can't really get excited about writing an essay on the side once a week. And then eventually, we proved that there was enough of their audience that cared about that, that it was worth a full-time salary. So they, they said, hey, we can pay you. Like, we'll give you an actual job to do this. And your job will be to build a newsletter. And I finally accepted when I saw that there was security in it. I probably would have never gone off to even think of trying this. If I hadn't earned a salary my first year as a content creator, because that would have been way too scary for me. I'm a fairly risk averse guy when it comes to like finances and career. But they gave me the confidence and the backing to go do it for a year on my own. We grew the newsletter together for, for to 40,000 subs. Then I took it over independently, now run it myself. And now I'm bringing in my own sponsors for that. So I've gotten to work with some really incredible brands. And now it will be 100% of my life, somewhere between like 70 and 100% now going forward as I decide if I want to keep consulting or take up other opportunities because I miss the problem-solving part of strategy. 
I'm really excited to dig more into this particular chapter of your life and career. Absolutely. So, but let's back up a little first. So they brought you in at Morning Brew. You weren't like person heading social strategy plus writing the newsletter. It was entirely the newsletter. The newsletter was your whole job there? Correct. Yeah, the social team was an entirely different team that I, that I didn't interact with at all. My only job wow. was to write the newsletter and continue to grow my personal brand so we could sell advertising. That's pretty fascinating. So here's the thing. Future Social started as Morning Brew, Future Social, and now it is entirely yours. I'm just wondering how how those sort of how that worked legally, <laughs> you know, and just from an intellectual property standpoint, the fact that, you know, even though you built it, you know, you built it under the umbrella of Morning Brew and now it is yours. So how did that exactly work? I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Morning Brew. Like they legitimately changed my life. They put ideas in my head that I like didn't have the confidence to do, didn't think were even possible. I was part of a creator program there. And when they started to to push that back away, I ended up just taking the whole thing over and deciding like, yeah, I could, I'll run this business on my own if you guys aren't going to do it. And it's been awesome. I mean, th this year alone, we've sold, I, won't, I can't share a number just yet, but like we were able to sell like a quite a significant number of ads just as a team of one. So it, it's a great situation. They're small buddies of mine. They still link to my work at times. I link to their work at times. That's staggeringly lucky, I have to say, because I've certainly it heard- It is a lot of luck. Yeah, because I've heard, I've heard of creators where they created something entirely their own then that got purchased by a company with them to run it. And then the company just kind of dropped it, but they weren't legally allowed to pick it back up, this thing that they had created to begin with. So like, that's fantastic that you had that circumstance. How I, I can't say enough good things about them. They, they like, they really did right by me. So essentially it sounds like Morning Brew decided to roll back investment on that. And they were like, we're not going to do this. And you're like, well, then can I? How did you, first of all, have the confidence to know that it could work without someone else paying the bills on it. Like how, like that's a huge, terrifying leap and a bet that you took on your personal brand. So, so I guess we'll start with that and then I've got a follow up. But how did you kind of have the confidence to know that it would work as a standalone business without being bankrolled by a larger entity? Mostly because when I had shared, so as I mentioned earlier, like part of my my thing is that I share pretty vulnerably about not only the industry, but myself. Like I've talked about how my own mental health has affected my career. I've talked about when like, Twitter put me in therapy for the first time. And as part of that, I shared very publicly, hey, like we're looking for sponsors. Like when I was at Morning Brew, I was like, hey, like we're ready. Like we're baking this up as we go. And I was able to bring in some like decent money from that. So when I went independent, like within one month, I had pulled in a six-figure sponsor, which I knew could fund me as I figured out everything else from there. So definitely had some understanding of who was going to immediately sponsor me, immediately work with me. And we're still figuring out as we go. So do you have any tips for getting sponsored? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, so I mean, just to back up a little bit, you worked for an agency and you discovered that your personal brand kind of attracted business to you. And I would gather some of that followed through for Future Social as well. People liked what you were doing and were sort of attracted to it. But at some point, I imagine this shifted to you going out and getting it, you going out and asking. So I, I'm just curious about the whole land. It's something full, you know, transparency. It's something I have always struggled with i can't get people to sponsor squat so i'm very curious about sort of how you how you were able to take that leap into getting sponsors and any tips you may have around getting sponsorship for something that's ultimately yours so believe it or not i have never sent an outbound email to bring in money to my personal brand or future social not once every sponsor i've ever had has been fully inbound and i think that's the result of Spending, a, I mean, over the last five years or so, I've spent a lot of time tweeting and putting out free content, content that I think targeted a very specific type of marketer. I know there's a lot of people who work in social right now that are building their own personal brands. And I think something that's really worth considering is who within social are you building for? Like for me, I've always been fascinated by the entirety of the space, but I have written a lot about director level thoughts and issues. And what I found is it's related very heavily to people who are heads of social, heads of marketing, and they become very comfortable putting money towards my platform because the people reading it are budget holders. That's one of the top pieces. The two pieces of feedback I get most often from my sponsors are you're one of the adults in the social media space where like we feel like we can trust you. And two, that I have actual budget holders and they convert when they work with. That it, I can't believe that you've done no outbound. That's pretty amazing. And and I mean, people want to get in front of your audience because you've got the right audience. I really liked those insights about how you're you're providing director level insights, but they're being read by the budget holders. That is huge. Now, you alluded before to, you know, Twitter putting you in therapy. A lot of people when building their personal brands, one of the big risks there, one of the things that people really fear is that with a higher profile can sometimes come haters. And especially with a firm point of view and when you're actually coming from a position of authority on something, that can also lead to a lot of people who are like, they either disagree with your premise or they disagree with your confidence or they'll even disagree with just whatever you say. So we don't spend a ton of time on that, but just I'm curious if you've shared about this before yourself, some of the lessons you've learned that might help other people who are either afraid of having to deal with that if they raise their profile or possibly who are dealing with haters now. So how how do you deal with that and not let it shut you down, not let it shut you up, not let it prevent you from growing? Oh, it, it, for a long time, I did let it prevent me from growing. I mean, I almost deleted my Twitter at one point. And imagine if I had done that, wouldn't even be able to have the job that I have. The, the internet can be a very terrible place. The thing that finally got me to the point where I don't worry about it anymore is I realized that 
no one I ever, no one I respect and like no one who I look up to has ever been involved in trash talking on Twitter. Um, I know a lot of people get looked up to for being snarky internet personalities. And I really hope young marketers as they're learning how to express themselves on a Twitter and LinkedIn, don't fall for the snarky route because it, it doesn't get you very far. It gets you a couple likes from other like young professionals. As far as like ways to do this yourself, like something, something I always said that it took me too long to learn was that if I speak about someone's work, it will get back to them. I always thought like when I was in like the 10,000 follower range, I thought of my Twitter as like a classroom where we could have, like I, I was never being rude about people's work, but I was definitely breaking it down and why I didn't think things would work. And that naturally upset people. And it took me way too long to understand that. So for the most part now, there's a reason I mostly highlight really amazing work. And when I speak more critically about something, it's usually very carefully worded and a draft of an article that I'll spend a month on because I don't want it to come off as, as being a jerk. And like, I really want to have hot takes. I want to have thoughtful conversation about what I think are important issues. Yeah. You're speaking to the people you can help. You're speaking mm -hmm. to, you are sharing your point of view for people who need it, for people who need a bit of strategic direction, for people who maybe just even need food for thought. Just like right here on Let's Talk About Brand, we're speaking to people who want to know about building a personal brand. And uh, I think it's it's pretty clear to say you know what the heck you're talking about on that. To that end, actually, and about knowing who you're speaking to and different audiences, you actually have a whole separate thing going on with its own whole separate audience. And it's really funny because this reminds me a bit of how when I interviewed Pat Flynn last season, we were talking about, you know, his professional life. But then he's also developed this whole huge Pokemon thing, just a passion project that didn't trade on his personal brand at all, but has become a whole second personal brand with a completely different audience. You've done similar. You have applied your professional know-how and curiosity to a passion project and it's becoming a whole thing let's talk basketball tell us what that whole other side of jack appleby is jack appleby the basketball guy oh it's it's funny again something that i was not doing strategically at all for the most part the way i use like that i'll back up my biggest value in life is like curiosity and creation so I, I very much take the, the Casey Neistat thinking of like, I like to make little movies. I like to make little art projects. And if people see them, cool. But if not, that's totally fine there for me. So I, maybe I secretly have four TikTok accounts, three of which have almost 50,000 followers now from various little art projects I've abandoned. But the most recent one was like, I, so I played college basketball, extremely low level. I was the world's worst college basketball player. But I'm in my mid thirties now and trying to get back in shape and really love the game. So I started documenting my journey and came up with this idea of I'm a washed up 34 year old ex-college player trying to get back, set a couple public goals for myself, whereas I wanted to get to play pro three on three basketball, which is a thing. And then I wanted to win rec league MVP and viewed those as like, I, I didn't think about them as content pillars because, but because I just naturally do this stuff. I tell stories that way. Those three videos each did a million views each on a brand new TikTok account. And now between my Instagram and TikTok, in three months. I have a combined 50,000 followers who are just following my adult basketball journey. So like, uh, how did you get those to a million followers? Because I don't think they're the people who were following you professionally necessarily. How did you, how did you grow those audiences who were there for something completely different than the audiences you had already grown were? So th those, 
those almost 50,000 that follow me for basketball, they don't know what I do for a living. Like it's, it's, they're unaware. It was something that started completely fresh. This is where like, if you understand social best practices, like you can tell stories and you can build audience there. So I, I mean, at this point now, like I've, I've now started, not only did I join pro three on three, I've now started my own team because I'm able to pull in sponsorships to help me do that. I mean, I have a Jersey sponsor that I'm working with where they're outfitting my entire team in exchange for a post and they're going to sell our jerseys on their website. Because they think that my audience there will actually buy them, which I think is crazy, but they want to try it. Let's, let's try it. Why not? But no, I, I think if we're, if we're honest, like if you understand how to make great social, you can go build an audience doing almost anything. I have, I mean, I have 50,000 followers sitting on a TikTok account for a silly little idea I have for a podcast about the office. I have 40,000 followers on another TikTok account when I had an idea to do basketball fiction stories called alternate reality. If you, if you understand storytelling, you can apply this to whatever niche you want. And it sounds like you've used different platforms in different ways to push forward different narratives and different personal brands. So as you said, you know, Jack Appleby, the social media employee and later the social media content creator about social media, you know, Twitter X, I won't call it X, Twitter is you know, the place where you've really hit on that. It sounds like TikTok is where you've really hit on basketball. How have you sort of adjusted your strategy for different platforms, for different audiences? Also, you know, do you have strategy for, for other platforms? Like, is there is there a whole thing you've got cooking on LinkedIn or on Instagram or something? And, and you know, so basically, I want, I want you to sort of break down how you do it differently per platform, how you figure out what platform you're going to build what on, if you're just throwing things against a wall and seeing what sticks, or if you've gone into it being like, this is where this lives, this is where that lives. How have you sort of processed all of that? Definitely. It's funny. Now being a couple of years removed from being inside of social work, it's allowed me to get a new perspective in really focus on researching and reading and seeing what people say about social instead of having to constantly pump out content. And I've really landed on, at the end of the day, no matter what social network it is, whether you're doing video content or written content, the only best practices that matter are idea selection and how to write a hook. That's all that actually matters, no matter where you're at. And I've always been a storyteller just by nature. I just didn't have video skills. So I, I was a writer. I was energy of my college paper. And, and I wrote because that's what I knew how to do. So I figured out how to do best practices on Twitter for writing or on Twitter and LinkedIn for writing. And I have 55,000 followers on LinkedIn now and over 60 on Twitter. I do almost no video assets for, for those platforms. But I'm naturally interested in video. I, I very much look up to Casey Neistat. He's like a, an idol of mine. And saw how he talks about the camera you have, the camera in your pocket's the one you should be using. And just started filming stuff for fun and just kind of applied those same best practices. So like really the only time I think about platform is if it's going to be business, I'm probably using LinkedIn and Twitter because that's just where those audiences are. And if it's anything general interest, I'm on uh, TikTok and Instagram Reels or I'm going to be dabbling with YouTube now shortly because the social graph network, I'm sorry, the interest graph social networks that push you out to potential audiences they're, they're very usable to find the people you want to find. What do you mean by that, by the, by the infograph? How do people figure out where the people who they want to be found by are hanging out? What are some resources that you use to sort of figure out that research? Yeah, I mean, so in the last couple of years with 
TikTok growing, Reels launching, and then even Twitter has a for you pay, uh, for you feed now. What used to be social media used to be all social graph. It's people that I follow that an algorithm decides of the people I follow which content to give me based on engagement. TikTok pioneered the interest graph social network where it algorithmically takes all kinds of inputs, hashtags, various behaviors, knowing what type of content to throw out to you to kind of fish for see what your interest might be. Like that's the whole reason we all scroll TikTok forever and TikTok's uh, on-screen time was so much more than Instagram for a long time was because their algorithm knew how to put content for you that you would like, even if you would never follow the accounts. The amazing thing about that is if these social networks know how to put the right content in front of the right audience, this is a should be a dream for organic social media marketers because if you're paid to make social for a living, you should be able to beat the average Joe or the average creator at it. So like I saw this as a huge opportunity. I mean, I have a combined 150,000, maybe 200,000 TikTok followers across various things because I just, I knew how to make content that would resonate there. I started a basketball account when the, there's a moment when three NBA all-stars all joined the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. I started a brand new account for that and made a TikTok where it's about talking about how that news happened, how I wanted to document that entire journey, how it was sure to be one of the funniest basketball stories ever told. My first TikTok on a fresh account did 750,000 views and I gained 30,000 followers in 24 hours. And then I documented that for a while. So the, these platforms are very, I don't like to say gameable because I feel like there's like stigma around it. But if you understand storytelling and hooks, you can build audience, whether you're a regular Joe, a brand or a creator. Wow. All right. So just to kind of wrap things up, if someone listening to this is just kind of starting to think about putting themselves out there as a personal brand, perhaps they are employed by an employer, perhaps they are a solopreneur or service provider, whatever they are. What are some things that you think people really shouldn't be sleeping on right now if they want to get their personal brand out there? Because again, you started building a while ago. As you said, it's been a journey. What's something people should really not overlook if they're going to start now? If you're a professional, and I'm not talking about people who want to be content creators. I'm talking about you are a professional. You should be on LinkedIn and you should be posting on LinkedIn. I grew my LinkedIn following from zero to 50K in just over a year, just mostly by publishing and publishing my own thoughts for a day. I didn't do anything crazy. I still don't know if I know the best LinkedIn, like best practices, but I share my thoughts. I share a lot of depth within them and it built audience and it built shares there. The biggest tip that I can give everybody is, and I, I wrote an article about this a while back. If you want to build the most positive, foolproof with an asterisk, like personal brand possible, the best way to do that on LinkedIn is to do three posts a week. One is something you learned that week at work. Could be anything. Could be a note-taking style. Could be a tool that you like. Could be your own perspective on work that is changing how you brainstorm. Could be anything. Something you learned that week. Something you're proud of if you work in social. You probably had 520 posts go out that week. Share one that's your favorite. Share why you liked it, why you made it the way you did it. And then as a third one, share work for somebody else that you think is very cool and explain why you like it. If you do those three things, that's three posts a week of the five work days. And those are very accomplished right away. So we know what I'm going to be doing this week on LinkedIn. <laughs> Jack, thank you so much for being here. Please tell everyone at home where they can find you why they should find you and what they will find there. 
Yeah, so I, I've got this ridiculous name, Jack Appleby, which is very Googleable. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jappleby. You can find the newsletter if you Google Future Social. You'll find the subscribe link for that. That comes out once a week, totally free newsletter. If you want to see the, the silly basketball stuff, you can also just search my name on TikTok and Instagram. You'll find that there. And then I'll, I'll tease that I'm going to be sharing a lot more content and opportunities to help people build their personal brands coming up with things like LinkedIn. Because I just genuinely believe Everyone has an incredible story to tell. And most people don't understand either how to tell it or don't understand the lab to tell it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for telling your story today, Jack Appleby. And thank you, everyone who has been here listening. Thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you for being here, whether you are listening to us on the Adweek Podcast Network or if you're watching on the Let's Talk About Brand YouTube channel. Either way, we're coming at you every single week with another very smart guest expert talking about another element of personal branding. I'm Christine Gritman. Make sure you subscribe. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.